Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. For those of you who don't know what I did over winter break, I will tell you that together with a sizable number of my in-laws, I went to Egypt. It was a big birthday for my mother-in-law. She wanted to see the pyramids, and I, wanting to stay married, went along. <laughs> Terrific as it was to see the pyramids of Sphinx, Karnak, Luxor, Abu Simbel, and otherwise, not to mention Cairo's Maimonides and Ben Ezra synagogues, the most memorable moment for me was actually when we arrived at a nondescript hotel near the Aswan Dam on the island of Elephantine. Elephantine is a small island in the Nile akin to Governor's Island in the East River. Its name no doubt derived from a once thriving Nubian ivory trade. There is absolutely nothing interesting about the island. Unless, of course, if you studied with JTS professor Yohanan Muffs of blessed memory, which, as it happens, I did. I was his teaching assistant in rabbinical school, and I know that his doctoral thesis was entitled Studies in the Aramaic Legal Papyri from Elephantine. In the early 1900s, archaeologists discovered the presence of an Aramaic-speaking Jewish community, a garrison, stationed in Elephantine in the 5th century BCE. That means the papyri of that community date back to before the Dead Sea Scrolls, before the Bible was even canonized, before any other documentary evidence of Jewish life. For me, and I assure you, I was the only one in my family to feel this way, this was the coolest place in the world. <laughs> the most ancient, documented, diaspora, Jewish community on our planet. So what do the papyri say? Well, most of it is pretty dry stuff. Legal contracts, real estate sales, deeds of emancipation. Muff's book is actually a study of its legal terminology. But there are two documents of particular interest that I want to focus on today. The first is a letter sent by the Jews of Elephantine to the high priest back in Jerusalem for support to build a house of worship in their local community. The Jews of Elephantine understood that their lives would play out beyond the borders of Israel. And they sought to create Jewish communities connected to, in dialogue with, and modeled after that of their ancestral homeland. The second document, called the Passover document, contains directions from Jerusalem to the Jews of Elephantine on the proper observance of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, including the dates of the holiday, the prohibitions of working on the holiday, and the obligation to seal away all leaven during the holiday. 
the oldest and perhaps first diaspora community in dialogue with the home office back in Jerusalem, a Jewish community that had planted its flag outside of Israel, but understood its fate to be inextricably linked to Israel. One community in Israel, one community outside of Israel connected by an invisible string of practice, peoplehood, and historical pedigree. How shall they relate one to the other? What will bond them together despite their geographic and cultural divides? A state of affairs faced by the first diaspora Jewish community of Elephantine, a state of affairs faced by us in the Jewish diaspora today. Just over a month ago, I spoke to the community about last fall's elections in Israel, the seismic rightward shift in the Israeli government, the rise of dark forces to positions of ministerial power whose values stand in opposition to a host of values we hold dear, a list that includes, but is not limited to, religious pluralism, the Palestinian aspiration for self-determination, LGBTQ rights, judicial autonomy, and democracy as a whole. I was angry, and I spoke out in anger. But today, I don't want to give an angry sermon. There's a time to cast stones and a time to gather stones. Today, I want to give a calm and constructive sermon. I want to ask the forward-looking question, not how we got here, but where do we go from here? We're a proudly Zionist community. Our Jewish identity, no different than that of the very first diaspora Jewish community, is inextricably linked to Israel, the national home of the Jewish people, the home to half the world's Jewish population. The values of the elected government of Israel do not reflect our values. It's not an unprecedented situation. When Menachem Begin was elected prime minister in 1977, I'm told, that there were then similar pronouncements about the rise of fascism and the end of Israeli democracy. But for many of us, this is new. How shall we express our love for Israel, our connection to Israel, despite the divide, despite our differences with the Israeli government? Broad brushstrokes, over the past month, American Jewry has been divided into two camps. The first camp is appalled by the new right-wing government and have expressed their dismay in open protest. You may have read about the 330 rabbis who signed on to a letter attacking the new government, stating they would not invite anyone from the religious Zionist parties into their synagogues. You might have read about a dear colleague of mine whom I respect deeply who announced that he would no longer recite the prayer for the state of Israel in his synagogue. You may know of people who have pulled their financial support from Israel in that it no longer reflects their values, a once unconditional love that has become conditional. In the words of Abe Foxman, if Israel ceases to be an open democracy, I won't be able to support it. The second camp, are those people who have received the news of the new government with anything from unabashed support, a wait-and-see attitude, or benign indifference. When I went to the APAC conference in D.C. last week, the video link address 
of Prime Minister Netanyahu was greeted with a standing ovation. In neither his address nor any of the sessions I attended, was there any discussion of the profound challenges this new government presents to American Jewry. The focus was entirely on the threat of Iran, foreign aid, and the opportunities of the Abraham Accords, an Israel conversation hermetically sealed from the concerns of the American Jewry I know, or more cynically, the discussions of Iran providing cover for the problematics of this new government. Wait and see, some said. Your response is both premature and hysterical. You don't live there, others told me. If you feel so strongly, make Aliyah and go vote there. Israeli democracy has spoken, and our job as American Jews is to ensure the continued vitality of the Jewish state against its existential threats. I believe, both personally and institutionally, that these two aforementioned options must be rejected. No matter what my grievances are against the present Israeli government, it is unimaginable for me to walk away from Israel. Israel is not just home to half of world Jewry. It's not just the realization of a millennial-old dream of Jewish sovereignty. But hands down, Israel is the most important project of the Jewish people in our lifetimes. We will, as long as I am the rabbi, pray for the welfare of the state of Israel in their moments of triumph and in their hour of need, such as this one, when they are in need of our prayers more than ever. As a proud Zionist community, and as someone who loves a good argument, every member of the elected Israeli government, including members of the opposition, are invited to our community. I promise any such visitors the opportunity to express themselves, to engage in dialogue, and to defend their views to my community. Finally, as a politically engaged American Jewish community, we will proudly do our part to secure Israel's existential security in the halls of Congress. All of this I believe. But what I also believe, both personally and institutionally, is that because the fate of American Jewry is inextricably linked to that of Israel, it is incumbent upon us to do everything in our communal, political, and financial power to support those efforts aimed at creating an Israel that reflects the values that we as a community hold dear. We do not live in Israel. The Middle East is not the Upper East Side, and we must be careful not to make Israel our moral Disneyland. Last time I checked, values like democracy, minority white rights, and otherwise aren't exactly doing so great here in America. But we are stakeholders in Israel's well-being, and we dare not sit out this round. The rise of a right-wing government, it didn't happen overnight, nor for that matter did it happen merely due to the corruption and intransigence of the Palestinian leadership. It happened because there has been a decades-long campaign funded by right-wing American dollars to establish an ecosystem of like-minded Israeli schools, think tanks, philanthropies, and media outlets. It happened because the American Jewish community has, through their silence, been the unwitting enabler 
of right-wing Israeli politics. Moses is our hero, not just because he intervened when the Egyptian did harm to the Hebrew slave. Moses is our hero because he intervened when two Hebrews were doing harm to each other. If you are invested in the long-term existential security of Israel, which I hope you all are, your concern is not just Iran. Your concern must be when you see Israel doing harm to itself. Your investment should be in all those organizations working to secure democracy, religious pluralism, minority rights, and coexistence between Israel and her Palestinian neighbors beyond and within Israel's borders. To be pro-Israel, to truly be pro-Israel, is to nurture those efforts that work towards building shared society. So many worthwhile organizations, roots that works at the grassroots level to foster understanding and nonviolence, encounter an organization aimed at introducing Jewish leadership to the lived lives of Palestinians, seeds of peace who seek to transform legacies of conflict into love, Israel Policy Forum dedicated to advancing a two-state solution in order to preserve Israel's future, Kibbutz Hanaton committed to Arab-Israeli education and leadership, the list goes on and on, and of course, first among equals is Masorti, the Israeli religious movement, whose mission is to create communities based on the very values we as a community hold dear. This is what it means to be pro-Israel. These are the groups deserving to be invited to Park Avenue Synagogue. These are the groups deserving of your support and the support of the organized Jewish community. And it is these and like-minded groups that are the groups that we should and will engage with on any future synagogue trip to Israel. The choice is not whether to support Israel's existential security or support efforts to build shared society. That is a false dichotomy that must be flatly rejected. It is because we are committed to Israel's existential security that we support those efforts at creating a secure, inclusive, and democratic Israel living side by side with her Palestinian neighbors. To fail to give expression to such support of Israel is not only an abdication of our obligations to Israel, but will ultimately lead to a loss of support for Israel in the next generation and America as a whole. There is more than one way to be pro-Israel, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. So what should our relationship with Israel look like moving forward? It's not an either-or. I'm reminded of David Ben-Gurion's comment after the outbreak of war in 39. As the British issued the infamous white paper, restricting Jewish immigration to pre-state Palestine. We will fight the white paper as if there is no war, and we will fight the war as if there is no white paper. We, who love Israel as we do, must support Israel even as we harbor objections to the Israeli government. We must defend Israel against its existential threats even as we take actions an issue with when we believe Israel is working counter to its long-term interests. We must nurture those ventures that seek to establish an Israel reflecting the values we hold dear. 
We must, in other words, as have diaspora communities from the very beginning, negotiate our relationship with Israel, the invisible string, a common faith, a common history, and please God, in all our differences, a common destiny. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.